0: today's episode, we open our Bibles to Judges chapter 15. Samson returns to Timnah to see his Philistine wife, but he arrives to discover that her father has already married her off to another man. Samson then unleashes his fury on the Philistines, setting their crops on fire with foxes and torches, and when they retaliate, he fights back again with a donkey's jawbone, killing a thousand of them. <laughs> Good morning and blessed tide. Today is Tuesday, April 18th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures to which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. My appreciation goes out to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, whose generous contributions support Thy Strong Word. The Lutheran Heritage Foundation is a ministry which provides Lutheran resources in various languages around the world. You can visit them online to learn more about what they do at lhfmissions.org. Well, this morning to join in our conversation on Judges chapter 15 and keep the story of Samson going, please welcome back to the show, frequent contributor, the Reverend John Shank, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. Pastor Shank, welcome back
1: to the show. Well, good morning. It's always a, a blessing to be on. It's a, a great honor to be on KFUO and, and to study this word of the Lord from, uh, from Judges 15 where we we do hear of, of Samson, and, and we have a lot to, to discuss, a lot to reflect on when it comes to the, the person of, of Samson. So, yeah, it is a, an interesting section of scripture. Uh, the book of the Judges has has a lot for us to um, kind of shake our heads at and, and to marvel at God's faithfulness, even in the midst of their the people's unfaithfulness.
0: I've mentioned this before, but, you know, as we've gone through different judges in the Book of the Judges, we have now Samson is the last judge mentioned. And I, I don't know for sure, but I think he gets the most uh, the most screen time, so to speak. We hear the, the most about Samson. And, you know, and why not? He's a popular, some of his stories are popular among the Sunday school crowd. Some of his uh, exploits are worthy of epic, you know, movies back from the, the 50s and 60s and 70s. Uh, But we have here a very flawed judge, a man of great strength when it comes to his physicality, a man of great weakness when it comes to his his sins. So I I just, I think it is, it's a very lively discussion, and I look forward to getting into this section today, which is probably one of the more famous accounts of the things that he had done. Uh, Before we dive into that, though, I'd like to invite you to begin our time together in prayer.
1: Yes, let us pray. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Almighty God, you have delivered your people with an outstretched arm with your your mighty hand; they were delivered from slavery and and from their sins. And, and yet, your people, we are wayward; um, we are filled with unfaithfulness, and we have gone our own ways, doing what is right in our own eyes. And yet, in your mercy, you have sent your Son. To be that redeeming price to bring us back, to buy us back, and to make us once again your very own. So help us during this time of study of your Holy Word. Send your Holy Spirit upon us. So open our eyes and our hearts to receive your Word and to see Christ. Christ in the midst of, of this text and all texts for all things speak of him who is willing to save us through his own death and resurrection. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: Amen. Well, let's catch people up on what has happened so far with Samson, because yesterday we covered, of course, chapter 14, and it's then he's going down to uh, this town, uh, Timnah, to get his wife, the woman that he had uh, had seen, and and she pleased him. So he asks his parents to arrange that marriage, and so he's going down to Timnah, and then we get the story of his sort of week-long wedding festivity. Do you want to catch the folks up on what happened?
1: Sure. In in the midst of that, um when he was going down, he was uh you know, there's this young lion and he uh he bests the lion with his own bare hands and and then some days pass and there's this uh there is uh bees and honey within the this uh cavity of this dead lion. He takes it and he this becomes a, a riddle a riddle for the the people so as he's at his uh this week long wedding feast he's given um companions like bride like uh uh groomsmen uh, to be with him but you can get the feeling that they're not really there uh for him it looks like they're philistines them- themselves and and so in the midst of this there's kind of like a, a, a challenge a challenge to solve a riddle and if they can solve it then he will give them 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes but if they can't solve it within the seven days uh then he himself will get the 30 um linen uh garments and the 30 changes of clothes from them and and this whole um riddle comes out of, of the uh um out of the the whole uh the killing of the lion, eating the sweet that comes uh, from the bees from within the lion. And uh, of course, they, they uh, after not being able to solve the riddle for a, a number of days, uh, they seek out uh, Samson's wife or the one that would be his wife uh, by the end uh, of this marriage, uh, these seven days and the consummation of the wedding. Um, and he, And she entices him to give her the answer to the riddle. And then she turns to these uh, men and, and gives them the answer and they use that answer against him. Uh, So he goes off, he's got to pay off the debt, but he pays it off by, by killing uh, 30 men and taking the spoils and, and paying and paying off uh, the debt that he owes. So it's, it's through his, his might that he he does this, Um, but he's fooled. He's, he is—he's uh, got this betrayal of trust, and in uh, this uh, embarrassment against him, and Samson becomes this man of embarrassment. You know, he's a prideful man, and and everything. So uh, that kind of sets the stage uh, that he goes away for a time, and uh, as we get to our text, he is going—he's going to try to go back and claim his his wife.
0: Yeah, you know, this is just a little bit of a foreshadowing of you know satan's ultimate satan oh lord Uh, sorry samson's ultimate demise and that is when he encounters delilah which again will have a similar tale with him being undone but you're right he go he goes and he is he leaves rather i should say his wife is given to another that's how chapter 14 ends verse 20 says and samson's wife was given to his companion who had been his best man. And that's sort of the context that we pick up today with chapter 15. I'm going to read the first uh, six verses, but just the, the first half of verse six, all the way up to how the Philistines respond. So Here we go. After some days, at the time of the wheat harvest, Samson went to visit his wife with a young goat. And he said, I will go into my wife in the chamber. But his father would not allow him to go in. And her father said, I really thought that you utterly hated her, so I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister more beautiful than she? Take her instead. And Samson said to them, This time I shall be innocent in regard to the Philistines when I do them harm. So Samson went and caught three hundred foxes and took torches, and he turned them tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of the tails. And when he had set fire to the torches, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and set fire to the stacked grain and the standing grain, as well as the olive orchards. Then the Philistines said, who has done this? And they said, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. All right. So that's not quite the whole verse six. We'll stop there. So. Interesting overreaction, perhaps by Samson. We we get this again. That's another common theme with him. But what I what I find interesting is, uh you know, I, I guess his father in law kind of has a point. You know, wasn't he with her? Probably thought that this was the end. Uh, take us through this part and and uh, explain what's going on.
1: Yeah, because Samson leaves to pay off his at what he owes i mean samson uh tends to think of himself as as quite brilliant you know and and beyond um beyond the ability to be bested either through wisdom or might right so we always think of him as a mighty man of of strength but he often thinks of himself as a mighty man of uh of, uh, a strength of, of what of wisdom. So he's got these riddles, he's got these trickery and he's got all those different things that you see in Samson th- throughout the, the few chapters, uh, of the, of the tells of his, of his life. Um, and, and yet he was, uh, he was bested by them because they, they turned his own wife against him. And I, I think that's something for us to, to reflect on by the, by the time we get to the end and the whole point of the uh, of the judges and the point of Samson a, as a whole. Um, so it, that of course enrages him and he he uh, uses his rage to pay off the, the debt that he owes. But in the midst of it he leaves, he leaves in, in the middle of the, not in the middle, but by the end, but before the, the fulfillment of, of the wedding. So they're not really fully married yet. And he leaves, and that, that is an embarrassment. It is an embarrassment to the bride, and it it's a uh, shame to her. It's a shame to the to the guests. It's a shame to everyone. And when he says, hate her, you know, I thought you hated her because of the shame that he brought upon her. He didn't He didn't even take her to himself to be his wife. So he's assuming that, he, that she's his wife, but uh, the wedding wasn't complete. It's like the... The, the groom leaves before uh, the bened- before the benediction or before the, the not even the benediction but before the pronouncement of husband and wife and he assumes that she's his wife but he leaves before the pronouncement right so um yeah when he says I thought you hated her I think we have to take into account the shame and and all that he had brought upon them by leaving uh, but not fulfilling uh, the the custom of, of the wedding. And so uh when he comes back, uh he shouldn't be surprised, but he is surprised that he gives that he has given. Um, but there's, there's shame here for him too, because this daughter of of the man, uh Samson's um uh betrothed ha- had been used against him. I mean that how horrible is that that, that the one that you're you're marrying uh is, is used against you that should have what should have been dear uh, wedding gift is has to be given away to these other men and probably to the man uh to the men that that she's giving to mary in the end um so it doesn't seem like uh this philistine you know he shouldn't have been marrying a philistine in the beginning he ends up wanting to marry her which is part of his downfall and then um it doesn't seem like the Philistines want him to marry his daughter either because it's not like there's this um, real warm welcome for him. Um, there's this, uh, this uh, animosity between them through the whole thing. And and now that he has given his daughter, his betrothed to somebody else, I mean, that just fills him with rage. And that that rage literally uh, burns.
0: Yeah, that's right. Well, I get the sense that, you know, Samson, he might not be very smart, <laughs> you know, at the very <laughs> least, he's not as smart as he thinks he is. I think that yeah, might be the yeah. fairer way to say it, because as I mentioned yesterday in the show, first of all, his riddle was terrible. I mean, it's it was a bad riddle. Uh, there was no way for them to know it, which, of course, I think was the point he was looking to. Uh, try to make himself feel smarter than all of these guests. He gave them something that would have been impossible for anybody to deduce uh, so that he could, I guess, really con them out of the goods. But I don't think it was about the goods. I think it was about maybe him overcompensating, trying to put on airs as this brilliant, wise person. And so I, I agree with what you're saying, too. Then now he goes down. And as you said earlier, he should have known better. But he gets in like nothing has happened. Like, hey, I'm I'm heading in the bridal chamber. Bridal chamber. I got to a. Uh, I got. I got some business I got to finish up, and then their dad's like, uh, "No, you can't go in." But then it's interesting because then he says, and I guess he's maybe either intimidated by Samson or probably also avoiding the shame of the scandal that might come out of this he offers up her sister and he's like, Hey, her younger sister is even better looking. Why don't you take her instead? That part stood out to me a little bit.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It seems like, you know, we're echoing back to, uh to other uh, patriarchs, right. It's where he wanted the younger uh, daughter and not And I mean, it's just, uh it seems like the sins of Israel uh repeat over and over. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a sense that um, that he was offered this other, but he doesn't want her. He wants the one that was was to be his, um, and I think pride and arrogance and um, and all these things are, are definitely his. I mean, by the end of of studying uh, these chapters, you'll you'll get to his. "Quote unquote" weakness, right? What will make him weak and and in, uh, in, in his demise? But uh, I think his real weakness is is his pride and his uh, sense of arrogance and his desire for his own personal greatness, um, his own idolatry, idolatry of self, and uh, that's his his demise. You know, if he would have if he would have been humble in the beginning. Um, he would have had his wife. He would have not set up such a, a foolish game to be played in the midst of something where his attention should have been somewhere else. Um, his attention was not on his wife. Um, not at all. Uh yeah, I think you're you're right in the sense of um wanting it to be all about himself and uh, he's he becomes an anti-hero and an anti um anti Christ figure. Uh, he is not like Christ at all in that, and yet God will still use him, um, and that's quite amazing too. That God's going to use him to judge the peoples. God, God's going to use him to um, bring about uh, their judgment and and the wrath that He wants to pour out on the Philistines for their wickedness. Um, but He does it in such a through such a, a flawed character, a flawed person himself. Um, but even even in that. God is still at work. And that's something for us to kind of remark in as well.
0: Well, whenever Samson does something, he does it big. <laughs> and before <laughs> we get into exactly how he responds to his, I guess, hurt pride or his frustration or his ego with the foxes, uh, I want to point out what he says. You know, in verse three, Samson says to them, This time, I shall be innocent in regard to the Philistines when I do them harm. I, You know, I think the reason why that pops out at me on the page is because it seems to be almost an admission by Samson that what he did last time with the, you know, he did tell them, he says, if you can find out the answer to the riddle, and, and I discussed that yesterday, too. It's like, well, did they really break the rules of the riddle. He, he said, if you just find it out, he didn't say that they had to guess on their own. So he might feel betrayed by his uh, soon to be wife or his wife, however you want to categorize it. But, but certainly the men didn't really break any rules, which I think is why he honored their request. He actually pays up the debt, but of course he does it in this very vicious way, killing 30, at least in car- regards to this situation, innocent people. But this time he says, this time I shall be innocent. Um am I reading too much, but it, it just seems like he's sort of admitting that last time I overreacted, but this time I'm not going to overreact, but then of course he does
1: yeah i I think that's how exactly how I read it too. I think he is coming to um some sort of admission uh that the lives uh that he had taken um wasn't that, that could not be determined as in his, you know, his innocence, he, he wasn't in the right, it wasn't a rightful uh, waging of war. It wasn't, um, it wasn't something that, uh, you know, even the uh, nations of the world could look at and be like, Oh, yes, uh, that, that is uh, the right action to take. No. Um, yeah, he, he probably had to leave um, the situation after paying his debt, Pretty quickly. And yes, you know, that maybe also means that his wife, you know, all of this, all of his actions here and setting up the riddle and then and then his reaction towards it and and the killing and then running off. He has to see his actions uh played a big part in him losing his wife. But he's not gonna admit that. But he's only gonna admit that he wasn't fully innocent in the actions that he taken. He's still enraged at his uh you know, would be father in law that that they had tricked him and that they had, um, they had injured him, and so now he's going to injure them.
0: Well, and let's think about how he's been injured. So he he shows up and he left the wedding last time, regardless of the reasons. They didn't consummate the marriage. It says after some days, we don't really know how long that is, but it's it's more than a couple. He just shows up like, hey, I'm here to collect my wife. And everybody's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I I, I thought you hated her. I, she's already with some other guy. And that's the offense. And so he says, OK, this time I'm going to be innocent. And I read that as this time I'm not going to overreact. And then we have verse four. So Samson went out and caught 300 foxes and took torches, <laughs> tied their tails together, put torches between their tails and sent them off to destroy the food supply of the Philistines. It's like, whoa, Samson, Samson, you know, cool it for a minute. You know, his use of force is way off the charts. It doesn't, it doesn't meet the resistance. Uh, but anyway, take us through these foxes Cause that's, that is a story that I think all of the Sunday school kids remember because it's so, it's so visual.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, like you said, it seems like he's saying that he is innocent and this is, the proper repercussions for their actions. Uh, the proper repercussions for their actions means that he's going to take these, you know, 300 foxes or jackals or these uh, wild dogs, right? Uh, something like that. And he ties them together and he puts uh, fire to them so that as they run around and if they're tied, you know, together, it's going to be really chaotic, right? They, they're not just going to go in a straight line. They're not going to, you know, uh, the one's going to be pulling against the other. It's going to be uh, a whirling dervish of fire, right? And so uh, he lets them loose, and, and they burn everything, right? They burn um, all of the the harvest. And and one be like, well, this is a you know some uh, some kids joke that he causes a little bit of fire here, but this is this could cause them to starve. <laughs> I mean he burns down all it's not like well well that's fine they'll just have to go to Walmart now like there is no Walmart there's no way for them well they'll they'll just trade with with who who are they going to I mean this is a uh, worldwide commerce yes there is trade routes yes there is but this is this is famine and uh this is uh, going to be a huge deal um to the people to the to the fact that that maybe it would cause uh, starvation or, or greater harm than one could maybe, you know, when you first look at it, like you said, uh, kids in Sunday school reading this and, and laughing that the foxes uh, tied together. And as they're uh, chirping because of this fire that's licking at their tails causes this destruction. But the ongoing effect of this uh, is going to last at least a whole year, <laughs> um, if not more, because how are they going to get grain to plant if there's not any leftover from the harvest from the year before. So this could have years of effect on them uh, that he brings about. So a sense of overreaction, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe just a little bit.
0: Well, and you know, we about his great strength. That's certainly what Samson is known for. And way back in 14, when he encounters the lion, we get this phrase about the spirit of the Lord rushing upon him. And we're going to hear that again, uh, actually, in this chapter when he goes to fight some of the Philistines. And we certainly know because we've already been told that all of this is being used by God to punish and judge the Philistines. So certainly what they're getting in sense is from God. But I think it's interesting that when it comes to the 300 foxes, uh, it it doesn't have that same. Uh, I guess, uh, I don't want to say approval, but it doesn't. it's not like the spirit of the Lord rushed upon, Phil, uh, upon Samson and he says, okay, now I'm going to grab all these foxes. Uh, we didn't see the spirit of the Lord rushing upon Samson when he went to then go kill those 30. Actually, we did see that when he went to go kill the 30 men, but we don't see it here. So it seems like when the Lord is judging the Philistines, we have this indication that the spirit of the Lord is upon him. He, he strikes down the thirty men, which we see as an overreaction, but God uses that overreaction to judge the Philistines. Uh, we see it demonstrated with his battle against the lion. Um, but now here, I don't—we don't see that, dude. Unless I missed it, I don't think we see it. So it seems like this is kind of him all on his own. This is not what God has sent him to do, or maybe he has. I, you know, I don't know. That—that's—that's that's sort of my question. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I I would take it as that that God is going to use all of this, and He is intending to bring the world into repentance. He He intends to bring the people of Israel to repentance because they should have been driving the Philistines out of the land. That they, they should have been listening. You know, and that we have this crossover time from Joshua to Judges, and if you started the the beginning few chapters, you see that they are not. They didn't. And in fact, they are unfaithful to the Lord and have given themselves over to false worship, um, have uh, kind of signed, uh, signed themselves over in, in some kind of uh, treaty fashion in one way or another by their lack of action uh, to these foreign gods and these foreign peoples. So it's like the inactivity, the, the lack of willingness to fight, to stand up, and to do what God has called them to do, um, God puts all that strength into one man. And and this one man and his, uh, his uh, crazy, chaotic nature, um, God even will use that chaotic nature to be um, a chaos of judgment against the Philistines. So I still think all of it God is using against them to judge the Philistines, even when we can look at it as an individual story and say, well, man, there's a lot here that that Samson should repent of, um, or that doesn't look right to us um, by our modern look at it based on what we should be doing. If certain, you know, he's not an example for us to follow in our own lives, right? Um, no, that, that's not why uh, Samson is given, or the judges are given, or this time is not given for us to follow it in our uh, actions with our neighbor. Um, but we can look at it and see um, God's outpouring of what what he desired for his people to be doing following his word against the people of the land through the actions. Even these actions of the judges should have been judgment against the Philistines.
0: It sounds like it falls under that same category of uh, Joseph being sold into slavery, thrown in the ditch, and that sort of stuff. Th- that's not certainly what God approves to happen to him, but God will use that evil for good. Yeah. Well folks, That's- I tell you what, we are right here at a time for a break. So I think it's a good time for us to reflect on what we talked about so far and when we come back, we will talk about how the Philistines respond. Samson isn't the only one that goes big. We'll see you on the other side. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me today is the Reverend John Shank, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. Friends, thank you for gathering around God's Word with us this morning. You know, I'd love to hear from you. So if you have any questions about today's show or you want to just say hello or make a comment, you can email me at pastorboo at gmail.com. You can also find me on Facebook. You can ask me anything um, you want or just say hello. If you like thy strong word, boy, I'd sure like it if you would share it with others who might enjoy it, too. The program airs on AM 850 in St. Louis, or you can stream it live or on demand at KFUO.org. You can listen to it and subscribe to it on your favorite podcasting service. And also, KFUO has its own app. Yes, an app. I encourage you to download that. That's what I use in my truck. So uh, check us out all these different ways. Regardless, I appreciate that you've chosen to grow in your faith with me and my guests each day. So thanks for being part of the show. All right, brother, pastor, right before we went to break, we were right at here uh, to see what the response is going to be from the Philistines. Because verse 6 begins by saying, Then the Philistines said, Who has done this? And they, I suppose that's just the rumor mill or whoever they're talking to says, Samson, the son-in-law of the Temnite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. So now they know the reason why he has done it. They obviously know what he has done. And so now let's read verses 6b uh, all the way through. Let's actually just read uh, the 6 and 7, and we'll get what happens. Here we go. And the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. And Samson said to them, If this is what you do, I swear I will be avenged on you, and after that I will quit. And he struck them hip and thigh with great blow, and he went down and he stayed in the cleft of the rock of Etam. So their response to him burning up their crops is to burn his wife and her father with fire. Um, I, I get the idea of them wanting to hurt Samson by hurting someone he loves, but why not just attack Samson? I mean, you know, cause then Samson now is going to retaliate on them. And then he even promises them. It's like, okay, now I'm going to get even, but then I'm going to leave you alone. And so he it says he struck them a uh, hip
1: and thigh with a great blow. What do you make of this? so if you were tracking along yesterday um so chapter 14 when when the companions were given the riddle the the as you said and rightfully said a riddle that couldn't be and that really couldn't be the trick right a a riddle that was really treachery um they they uh they pulled uh wife aside to tell her to to entice Samson, to give them the answer lest we burn you and your father's house with fire. So this is what they, this is kind of their, their way to, uh, to bring vengeance on people. So this was their go-to last chapter and they brought it to completion this chapter um, that the, the evils that were brought on them would be brought on to your, your family uh, and your extended family so that this would be, a sign, I, I, in my opinion, it seems like this is quite a sign, right? A sign to anyone who would do anything against the Philistines. It won't just be you, <laughs> it'll be everyone that you know uh, will have to face this kind of uh, judgment, this wrath. So, yeah, they're filled with rage. They burn with rage and they cause this rage to uh, be outpoured. Not just, I, I'm sure they'd love to kill Samson too. But they get to the ones who they can get to, and they do what they promised to do last chapter, which is to to burn her and her father's house. So there's probably other people in the house too, right? The household, the family is put up in this house and, and burned. Um, yeah.
0: Well, then he's hiding out in Etam or Etam. And the Philistines, it says in verse 9, I'm going to read 9 through 13. The Philistines came up and encamped in Judah and made a raid on Lehi. And the men of Judah said, Why have you come up against us? And they said, We have come up to bind Samson to do to him as he did to us. Then three thousand men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Etam and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is this that you have done to us? And he said to them, As they did to me, so I have done to them. And they said to him, We have come to bind you, that we may give you into the hands of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, Swear to me that you will not attack me yourselves. And they said, No, we we only bind you and give you into their hands. We will surely not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. So he strikes them with uh, he strikes them hip and thigh with a great blow, it says. And then he goes and he's he's hiding and camping out in this little in this little crevice of a rock or something like that. And the Philistines attack the Lehi. And so basically, it sounds like they're they're saying, hey, we don't want any problem with you guys. We actually accept that you're our occupiers. Uh, if this if Samson's the problem, we'll get him for you. Uh, it it is he's being betrayed by his own people.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, it seems like to get to Samson, you have to, you have to get to them, right. To get to people around him, to you, you are not going to be able to best Samson just by going against him. Strength for, for strength. And uh, they first find that out uh, in one way uh, because after attacking his wife or whatever we want to call her and his uh in and her household and kills her, then he he like you said, he he struck them hip and thigh, which it's kind of a weird way of saying it, but um probably it's like tearing them limb from limb, right? That he has such a savage attack on them that they are are torn apart. He has no mercy on them. And he told them after doing this, then he'll leave him alone. Um, but uh, they would not; they would not leave him alone. And this is this is going to be, uh, you know, quite something for them to see because they could have left him alone. They they could have stopped. Um, but then, like you said, they they go to to Judah, and and it, it's it's a bit of a shame, you know, a shame for God's people. This is starting to reveal the shame of the people of God because there's. You know, they, they come up and, and maybe they, they, so they uh, raid Lehi, um, uh, they attack it, they besiege it, they come around, you know, whatever whatever this fully means. So that 3,000 men from Judah go to, to, to Samson and not to say to Samson, okay, Samson, lead us in battle against the Philistines because we know that the Lord is with you. No, <laughs> they, they have given up that kind of faith. In the Lord. They have given up that kind of trust that God will lead them, that God would deliver them for the Philistines. So we see that their fear is a sign of their lack of faith. Um, and we see that's a, the, the great problem after the time of Joshua onward, and uh, it's being revealed here. So um Samson is, uh, is having this exchange. He doesn't want to fight against his own people. So it seems like in the midst of all the dishonor of Samson, and there is great dishonor. There seems to be some little, um, <laughs> little ounces, little drops, little grains of honor left within him that he's not. Because if this three thousand would come against Samson, I still think Samson would have bested them. I don't think he's saying this because he's afraid of them, but he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to tear them limb from limb. And so he's at, he asks them, what what are you going to do? Swear to me that you won't attack me, because that means he's going to have to defend himself. He would defend himself. And so they bind him. They say, no, we'll just bind you and hand you over. And it's, he's okay with that, uh, because he knows that he won't be bound.
0: Right. He's not worried about the, that binding. And yeah, that's an interesting point of view. You know, he's not afraid of them. He, he's like, you should be afraid of me, all 3,000 of you. Uh, you know, I, I read one commentator that said it, it's likely that Samson didn't look like he was super strong. Like if we were to cast Samson in a movie, we would make him be, you know, extremely enormous, dramatically muscular, and and people would look at him and say, yeah, this guy's a tough guy. Uh, and, and maybe he was. I don't think there's indication one way or the other. But this commentator speculated that, you know, maybe he uh, he, he looked pretty normal and, and it would indicate. A couple of things. One, of course, that his awesome physical strength is supernatural as opposed to just, you know, him being really big and lifting a lot of weights or something. But on the other hand, you know, it, 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 I think it's betray- that idea is betrayed a little bit by the fact that they send 3,000 of them to go get him. So, I, you know, I don't know. I go back and forth. But, yeah, they send a, a 3,000 men to where Samson's hiding out. And I do believe he's hiding out. He doesn't want the retaliation. He wants it to be kind of done. But he also wants to have the last word. Any thoughts on any of
1: that? So is he like uh, Bruce Banner and the Hulk or something? I don't know. Um, yeah, you wouldn't you wouldn't <laughs> like me if I was angry. <laughs> yeah, and you definitely don't like Samson when he's when he's enraged. He he That's definitely right. is not a safe person to be around. And he's so chaotic. Um, he's just you know he is uh, he just flies off. And he, he doesn't seem to be safe for anyone uh, though he has he appears to show some restraint here uh, for the people of God even though that they are not they're not living up to their calling that's that is very clear and that's very clear from the beginning of of the book of judges um so yeah yeah I don't I don't know I, I don't they they definitely have heard about Samson. You know, they've heard about what he can do. They've heard about his exploits and, uh, and they're going to come prepared (laughs) and they do, you know, 3000 men. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people against one person. Um, but, uh, even so they seem to be a bit, no one's, no one's jumping forward to be the first one to to go, (laughs) go ahead. There's three of us. You go grab him. We're right behind you. No, it doesn't seem like they seem to, um, I mean, and he positions himself in a pretty good defended spot where it's, he's got the, he's got the mountain, the rock behind him. And so you're going to have to come against him one, one, one at a time. And it's like, well, that, that is not a good situation. So, uh, so they have to. Well, that's true too. I didn't think about
0: that. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. I, you know, it. And they do come and they, they seem to want to negotiate there. You know, they're like, yeah. okay, so this is there's three thousand of us, but you know, just give us a second. <laughs> we we're let's here we to bind you. I hope that's okay. Well, yes. let's it it is okay with him as long yeah. as he doesn't have to fight them. Let's see what happens next. When he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him, and the spirit of Yahweh rushed upon him. And the ropes that were on his arms became as flax that had caught fire, and his bonds melted off his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, and he put out his hand and took it, and with it he struck a thousand men. And Samson said, With the jawbone of a donkey heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey I have struck down a thousand men. And as soon as he had finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone out of his hand and that place was called ramath Lehi. Okay, we'll stop there just for the moment. So yeah, so they come out to get him and I guess in my mind, I've always thought of him just sort of easily breaking the bonds, just sort of just, they're just popping off. But, you know, on a, on a second look here, it looks like maybe they supernaturally just kind of dissolved away. I'm not sure which way you take it.
1: Yeah, definitely. It seems like um, either either way, they by his strength they acted like that, right? The bonds were nothing to him in the strength of the Lord, um, and uh, yeah, and so he uses he uses a, a jawbone of a donkey to to best them, and you know the Philistines, and we see that is it First um, Samuel. Um, where they, they shows that the that they didn't the Philistines did not allow for them to have blacksmiths, and so they had to go and and whenever they needed to sharpen an an, an axe head or sharpen instruments for um, for uh, plowing and for reaping, they'd had to go to the Philistines and they had to pay for these things to be sharpened because they didn't have anything, and so they didn't have like uh, the same kind of weaponry that the Philistines had, um, and yet. I, I would assume that that, that filled the Philistines with a sense of uh, strength that, that these people have nothing, right? They have no means to, to fight against us. And and yet, <laughs> and yet God is going to humble them uh, by the, the mouth of a, of a donkey. And that kind of is reminiscent of a Balaam, right? That God uses the mouth of a donkey there to humble um. And here he's going to use the jaw of the donkey to humble them, to who thought that their their strength within was in their might and their ability to wage war was in their own strength, the strength of a horse, um, and all these uh, ways to to wage war. But even by with a bone, with a bone, uh, a thousand men could be could be bested, uh, because the Lord was with him and the Lord was against them.
0: What I think is kind of neat about all of this, too, though, is I imagine being in the place of the person who's being told this account for the first time after uh, it's written down here in Judges. And, you know, and they get to this part and they say, so uh, they bind up Samson and then he comes to Lehi. Now, the name Lehi means jawbone. So they say, when he comes to Jawbone, right? You know, that town named Jawbone, folks. Well, the Philistines come out shouting to meet him. And then he gets to verse 15, and he found a fresh jawbone, and there's probably at least a few kids who are listening to this story going, oh, that's why we call this place jawbone. I think I know what's getting ready to happen. And, and of course, then it says in 17, and that place was called Ramathlihai, Lehi, which means hill of the jawbone. I just think it's always neat when we have these anachronistic things in the scriptures where they're talking to a people after the places have already been commemorated for the events. But... But, they, but they're using the names that exist at the time, not necessarily the name that would have existed when Sam, uh, Samson was in that area.
1: Yeah, and, the, yeah. and then with the, the second one you named, you know, the hill of the John Bone. Well, what's the hill of the John Bone? Well, because heaps upon heaps were there. Um, he, he piled them up. He, he made their bodies, these thousand men, into a hill, uh, a hill of, of God's vengeance. His wrath. Um, so yeah, names have a way of uh, of of causing us to remember God's God's action. You know, um, so yes, that, that's definitely. You know, when we say Calvary, you you will remember what God has done. Uh, Galgatha, um, the Mount of Olives. You know, these things, these names, then will have a lasting uh, memory for us as the people of God, and and surely for them too.
0: Let's finish up the chapter with verses 18, 19, and 20. And he was very thirsty, and he called upon Yahweh and said, You have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant, and shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? And God split open the hollow place that is at Lehi, and water came out of it. And when he drank, his spirit returned, and he revived. Therefore, the name of it was called in Hakore, it is at Levi to this day. And he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines, 20 years. So I, I don't know, you know, I'm just getting a little uh, a little flashback here to a lot of places in Scripture, frankly, where people criticize the Lord. I think of the Israelites criticizing the Lord through Moses. You know, have you brought us out of the land of Egypt for us to die out here in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves in Egypt? And so, you know, he's getting this power from God. He's thirsty, you know, killing a thousand guys, takes it out of you. And so he calls upon Yahweh and says, hey, am I just going to die of thirst now or and fall into the hands of the Philistines? And for some reason, I guess in his mercy, God grants him this, even though I'd say the request is pretty out of line. What do you think?
1: Yeah, but the request, um, the only inline thing here is that Samson is finally, or at least at this one point, um, it doesn't last, but uh, maybe, uh, maybe repeats, right? There's this repetition for Samson here and then at the end of his life where he sees his his life is in the Lord's hands. Um, so he had he had such arrogance that he um, he probably thought, you know, in his strength, he probably thought that his strength was his alone. Um, but then he was brought to the point where he was hiding and in a in a cleft of a rock, you know, of the rock. And I'm sure he was brought to see that this strength belongs to the Lord. And he's he's left to hide for his life. You know that's not that's not very strong, right? That's not that's not of a, a mighty person's way to go. You know, hiding in fear, um, but God delivered him, and through through this act, he's confessing, "You have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant." So he's saying that this is God's doing, and in that, that's that's finally right. Um, yes, uh, yes, Sam, this is God's doing. And he's doing it. You are an instrument. You are the tool of the Lord. And you're crying out to the right person because um, your life, his life is in the Lord's hands. And he's he's finally getting that part right. It doesn't last, and we'll see that. But at this point of his life, it's it's correct. Um, his life is, is the Lord's. Well,
0: and then this is, as you noted, the first time where we have Samson praying and then he uh, has his his prayers answered, and in, in a supernatural way, God splits open a hollow place. I'm um, not sure exactly what that's referring to. Is that a, a you know a place in the rock? Is it you know is it a place in the in the ground? Is it? But regardless, he water comes out of it, and I guess that water has survived because even to the day of when Judges was written, people know about it, and they call yeah. it the spring of he who calls for the spring of the calling one or the spring of the Caller. So, you know, in Hakore is what they still call it. And yet again, we have another one of these little anachronistic things where the people listening, if it's the first time they've heard it go, Oh, that's why we call that, that because of Samson. Um, It's just, just a fascinating thing to me when you leave behind these testimonies. And sometimes You go through your whole life not knowing why something's called a certain thing or done a certain way, uh, which is sad because the whole point of that is to catechize future generations on what God did there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it it is an interesting thing. Uh, Luther took it in an interesting way. I don't know if you saw that, but. Because um, it, it could mean like socket out of the socket, so he kind of he took it in a way that it came out of like a, a, a socket out of like if you look at a a jawbone of an animal that has died and is all dried out, um, the sock you know some not all the teeth are there right, so like a socket of a tooth that's missing. It comes a spring. So out of the bone that he had just used to to smite off. Most modern people do not take it in that way. But it was interesting that Luther did. Most modern people take it more from like the like a cleft, like a cleft from the rock, a socket, an opening from this rocky place, which then draws us back to how God answered the cries of the people in the wilderness, right? When they cried out um that they were. That they were um, in thirst and that they would would perish in the wilderness. God answered them by giving them water from the rock, um, and that 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 teaches them too that God God was the one who delivered and gave them salvation from the hand of Samson, and now God was hearing the cries of his servant and refreshing him uh, with with water, um, that he wouldn't let his 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 means by salvation, he wouldn't let him um, perish and and die, which um kind of kind of is reminiscent too of of God's active hand of salvation too. So I think there is um kind of typology here that he doesn't have Samson die, not here, um, but he does allow his son to die for the salvation of his people. I think there's there's definitely a lot to, to look at in the story and see the salvation history.
0: Absolutely. You called Samson an anti-type of Christ because while he is a deliverer, he just tends to do things all in the wrong ways. But it's important to remember, as you so eloquently pointed out, especially this Easter tide of that great deliverer, Jesus, who came and fulfilled where all the judges and all the rescuers and all the prophets of old couldn't do perfectly. He did perfectly for our stead in our stead. And that's a, a certainly great news. Anything else as we come to the close of the show that you want people to make sure that they take away from this text or anything else?
1: Yeah, if we were to look at the the judges, what, what was God doing? But he was calling back a wayward people, a people that he had called to himself by delivering them, and he had betrothed himself to them, and yet, as he brings them into the land, they had become unfaithful. They had sought other gods, and by that way, they had, you know, as the scriptures will say, they had whored themselves out. They had given themselves over, betrothed themselves to false gods, and devoted themselves and faithfulness to them and not to God. So Samson, in his rage that his wife was given to someone else, it definitely reflects God's judgment against his own people and then the people of the nations, that as as God uses Samson, I mean, we should reflect on on our waywardness, on our our lack of faithfulness. And it kind of reflects the whole point of the whole book, that God's judgment was also against his own people, that they weren't being faithful. And he judges the land and these other nations because that they had enticed his bride against him. Similarly, how Samson's bride was enticed against him. Uh, Obviously, we have type and antitype. Here's Samson's rage, right? But in the end, God would give his son as a ransom price in death to, to buy us back to redeem us, to be the price that returns us in faithfulness to him and to him alone. So, yeah, I definitely see a lot of God's saving acts here reflected and then perfected in, in his son, Jesus.
0: Well, I'd like to thank my guest this morning, the Reverend John Shank, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. Thank you, pastor, for being on the show.
1: Well, thank you. It's always an honor. God's blessings to you, and blessed Easter tide to you and to all of our listeners.
0: Well, friends, we're not done with Samson just yet. Tomorrow, the saga continues with the famous account of Samson and Delilah in chapter 16. Samson's physical strength is no match for the weakness of his, uh, well, temptation of libido. He falls in love with a woman named Delilah, another Philistine who is convinced by the Philistine ruler's to use her relationship with Samson to discover his secret. It's a true story of seduction and betrayal that ends with Samson's death, and we're going to cover it all tomorrow. So until then, may God's peace and blessing be with you all. As we pray, Father, keep us in thy strong work.